Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We just pray, Lord, and ask that you use your word that we're going to look at to change our hearts, to give us revelation of who you are and what your will is for our lives individually and corporately. We believe you to do that. We believe that your spirit is here and that you will speak to each of us individually according to our need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to go back and, and tag on to what uh, I started a couple of weeks ago. We were started looking at the Ten Commandments, and we've been looking primarily at, at um, the, the two passages in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where it gives the listing. They're, they're slightly different, but, but it's the same. Uh, one is the, the listing that, that from when God wrote it the first time, uh, Moses came off the mountain, broke the law symbolically because the people had already broken the law. While they were up there, they got discouraged. Moses is dead. We might as well make us a golden calf because we're going to have to go back to Egypt to survive. They, um, Moses went back to the mountain, and God had him scroll or, or write the Ten Commandments on the stone so it's a little slightly different wording in the text, but it's, it's still all God. But just to, to, to tag and, and just put us in remembrance, the Ten Commandments are not our way of salvation. Paul said it very clearly. In Romans 13, he gives us, he summarizes all of the Ten Commandments. Romans 13, 10, love does, does no harm to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You can sum up the entire law, and that's that. Remember, we're talking about the ten, but there are really 613 laws that are listed in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And James tells us, James 2:10, whoever keeps the whole law—that's all 613 of them—and yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of all. So the point of the, of the law of Moses was not to get us saved. The point of the law of Moses was to point out to us that we can't keep the law. In fact, in, in Romans, Paul says that if, if someone's not familiar with the Jewish law, they will make up their own law. And in our heads, individuals, will, you will have a standard that you put out there for your own behavior or for others' behavior, and you won't even meet that which we've all experienced. I, 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 I would be, you know, very sure that I could talk to anyone in here and say, do you meet the standard that you hold for yourself? The, the, what you aspire to be and do in your everyday life, do you meet that standard? And I don't think I'm unique in that, no, I never meet my own standard. I, I always strive to be better than I am doing. I fail my own standard, let alone God's standard. So this isn't the way of salvation, but it is, you know, because part of it is like, well, if this isn't the way to salvation, why does it even count? 
Because Paul is very clear, we're no longer under the law of Moses. We, Jesus fulfilled the law, so we're not under that. Paul, read the book of Galatians. The law tells us, the, the fact that we can't meet it, tells us we need a Savior. But there is still value in the law. In Deuteronomy 5.33, it gives us the essence. This is what, what God said. He said, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. And then he tells us why. And keep in mind, he's telling us we have to walk in all these ways, realizing that we're never going to be able to do it to, to perfection. We're going to violate things left and right. That's why he also, part of the law, he also not only set standards for us to, to meet, but he gave us the law of sacrifice. Because when, when you can't meet the requirements of the law, the sacrifice is there to get out of the penalty of violating the law. The penalty of violating the law is death, period. We saw, see that in, in Genesis. And the day that you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat, it says, in eating you shall surely die. Literally in the Hebrew it says, in eating you will die, die. It gives it twice meaning you will die spiritually the second you eat that fruit. And that spiritual death will result in physical death at some point. Well, we've all died. But he also gave us the sacrificial law to get us out from under the penalty. Under the old covenant, they could get it covered from year to year to year. Under the new covenant in Christ, we fulfilled it all because he did it perfectly and he puts us in his camp. And he calls us righteous, and he makes us righteous. So why do we do this? Deuteronomy 5.33, he says, You do all these that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. When we, when we look at the law, and and. and Remember, the Ten Commandments are a summary of all 613. Paul said, summarized all of it, and do no harm to your neighbor. Jesus, in Matthew 22, listed, when they asked him which were the two greatest commandments, love the, the, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbors yourself. Everything hangs on those two. So we can summarize it all down, but when we walk in that, when we walk in holiness which is not necessarily fulfilling the letter of the law, but having a vital relationship with Jesus. We will, we will follow that law, and in doing that, it will be well with us. He will prolong our days in the land, in our lives, and we shall possess our lives. We'll walk in authority. We'll, walk, we'll have the ability to see what, what desires we have. Dean said it over the last several weeks. God gives us the desires of our heart. First of all, if you're open to him, he'll put the desire in your heart for what he wants you to have and what you need. And then when you start desiring that and reaching out for his desire that he planted in there, then he will bring that into your life. That's the result of this. But God, and, and this is where we're going to go back to, in Exodus 20, verse 2, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, 
This is what God says before He starts actually giving the commands. He said, I am the Lord God. He starts out with, before I tell you what you need to do, you need to know who I am. Because it all hinges on the nature of God. If we don't have a proper understanding of who God is and what God's nature is, it doesn't matter how you live. It's never going to work right until you get a revelation of exactly who He is and what His nature is. Because it it, everything hinges on His nature. But He said this, I am the Lord God, and then He describes Himself by what He has done for them, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Which if you want to summarize it, He says, this is, this is me, this is God the Father. This is Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the God we worship. And his, what he's saying here is, I am not a passive God. I'm not just sitting in the heavens. I didn't just spin this thing out here. I didn't, in Genesis, say, light be, universe come into existence, spin it all up, and then sit back and watch what happens. I am intimately involved in your lives. That's, a, that's, that's the, the hinge of everything else he's going to say. As soon as I saw that, I thought of 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is, is uh, challenging the prophets of Baal. And if you read that story, Elijah really set the stage against himself. He said, okay, guys, you go first. And I want you to, to do your sacrifice, and we're going to see who burns the sacrifice. And they're going through all their machinations. They're cutting themselves. They're crying out. And Elijah's, you know, it encourages me. He's got that same spirit of smart aleck that I seem to have been born with. My father told me that. He used a little more colorful language, but I, I, I have that in my nature. So did Elijah. He was being very contentious here. He looked at him at the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. He's by himself. 450. He had, they had the numbers. They had the people. Because all of, of those ten northern tribes all worship Baal. And he starts looking at them. Maybe you need to shout a little louder because your God may be asleep. Maybe taking a nap. Maybe he's just a little busy right now. And you just need to keep going and we'll wait on him because he's a little too busy to answer your prayer right now. Maybe he's just gone on vacation. Maybe if you go to God's house and you look on the door, there's a sign there that says, gone fishing, come back another day. He's tormenting them. And then he looks at them and he says, okay, now put my sacrifice here. And I want you to put the wood there and then I want you to pour a bunch of water on that wood, get it soaking wet. And then put the sacrifice on it and we're not going to put a flame to it. God himself is going to burn that sacrifice. In lightning, fire came from heaven, set it on fire. And then Elijah said, okay, it's judgment time, guys. Take these guys, all 450 of them down there. I've got my sword. And he personally went down there and executed the 450 prophets of Baal. Now, you may think that sometimes preachers get rough. I haven't cut anybody's head off lately. Samuel did the same thing with Agag. Saul brought him back when he was told not to. 
Agag started to make a little noise. Saul was complaining. Samuel just whipped out his sword and took his head off. They didn't mess around in the Old Testament. What he's doing here, he's, God is describing. He said, I'm the, these gods are passive. I'm not. I'm at work in your lives. Going back to, to Exodus 20, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 5, 6. He said, I brought you out of this land, the land of Egypt. I know you've probably heard it preached before. That is a type of the new birth. Egypt represents slavery. And I am bringing you out of slavery. In fact, that's his next statement. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I brought you out of that house of slavery. You are no longer slaves. Now part of the problem, if you read about everything they did in the wilderness, they still had a mindset of slaves. And it, that generation never got past it. That's why they had to spend 40 days in the wilderness, because they had to wait for a new generation to come up. And the only two that got to go in of that generation were Joshua and Caleb, because they had a different heart and a different mind. The rest died in the wilderness, including Moses. Moses, not because he didn't have a, the, the mindset, he just disobeyed God. But God is saying, this is, what you ha- this is how you have to see me. Immediately, I think of Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God, the writer of Hebrews says there's two things you've got to know here. You can't, without faith, you're not going to ever please God. Start with, you have to believe that God is. And, and at the root of that, you have to believe there is a God. If you don't believe in God, you can't worship God. But I think for the Christians, because remember, Hebrews was written to Christians, I think that there's a, there's a little more going on there. I, if you are, and, and this is the thing, after spending the whole week at, at Ramah, I'm really brought me back to my roots, the, the, the message of faith, believing, what we just sang. What does the Word say? If you've got a question, if you've got a thing going on, an issue in your life, your question has to be, what does the Word say? I'm not, I can't be ruled by my emotions. Man, if you're ruled by your emotions, you're going to be up one day, you're going to be down the next, you're going to be up, you're going to be sideways. If you're ruled by your desires, your fleshly desires, it's just, it won't work. But if you're ruled by what the Word says, so at the root of that is exactly what we saw. I'm your Lord God, and I'm active in your lives. I've brought you out of Egypt. You are born again now, and I will reward you when you seek me. There are, there are good things for, the, for Christians that pursue God. But when he says, the first thing you have to do is believe that he is, he is what? There's a question mark after that. You have to believe not only that God exists, but who is God to you in this situation? If you are in need of healing, are you believing that God is the healer? If you are in need of wisdom, are you believing that God is wisdom unto you? Are you in need of finances? Are you believing that God is your provider? Whatever the situation that you are in, you're going to have to have faith to see God bring that into your life, and you can only do that when you see God as that 
that provision for your life. But when you see that, then you also have to understand that I'm not forcing, and this is what a lot of the critics, of, of especially the Word of Faith movement, you know, I've, I've heard them all. You're a Haganite. You're a, um, what was the one? I, I heard a brand new one this week. Um, a, Rama, a Ramanoid. Or a Ramabot. It's like, no. The, the, the whole message that I, that I got, it, you, I heard it over and over and over and over. I've been, I've, I, I still go back and listen to Brother Hagin's sermons. Even today, he's been gone for 16 years. But what I constantly heard him say was, go back to the Word. If you have a need, you have to find a Scripture that promises that need is met then you can put your faith on that Scripture. That's why when we have prayer needs, and I put a, 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 a prayer need on the prayer chain call, if you've noticed, I always tag a Scripture with it. This is the reason we can believe God to be active and not passive, because He's already said, this is yours. We're not forcing God to do anything with our faith. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Who in the world thinks they can force God to do anything? He created the entire universe. What, a, what power do I have over God? And word of faith people, people that believe the Bible, aren't trying to force God's hand. They're digging into the Word and trying to find out, God, what have you already done in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus? And if you said it's mine, I'm going to believe you. That's it. That's all faith is. Figuring out what God's already done, finding a scripture that proves, and, and you have to be careful. There was a lady one time, she was having dental problems, and she really didn't, and I don't know anybody that does love to go to the dentist and get their teeth cleaned. Boy, if that just doesn't set your... your I mean, I used to, when, back in the old days, when I, my classes... I couldn't get their attention. I would just take my fingernails on that slate board and scrape my fingernails down that slate board. And man, you'd, every eye would come up on that one. It's like, now that I've got your attention, we're going to go on with class. You can't do that anymore because you've got whiteboards. But getting your, your teeth cleaned is kind of like that. I would endure it because it was a, a method to get everybody eyes on me. But she didn't like doing that, and she needed some dental help. She found a scripture in, I forget, one of the Old Testament books that said, God, where God said, I will give you clean teeth. And I'm believing for that. Will you read that verse in, in context? What he's saying is, you have been in so much sin that I'm bringing famine to you, into your land, and you're going to have clean teeth because you're not going to eat for a while. That's not really a scripture I want to believe God for. But she, you know, it was like she read it. She read it out of context. I'm believing for that. Well, I don't, you know, God blesses the, the silly sometimes. But when, when we know that God is something in our lives, we can believe for God to bring that. Hebrews 11, 6 says that. But we can only believe what we have knowledge of. You see that we're in Hebrews 11. Go to Hebrews 13. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 5. 
It's talking about, and, and this is a little bit out of context, but not really. It says, for he himself, speaking of God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then verse 6 says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We can only say, the Lord is my helper. I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? When we have the revelation that God has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Faith begins where the will of God is known, not supposed, not hoped. But when you know this is God's will, and I have that knowledge, and sometimes it's beyond just the the natural knowledge. You have to believe for a revelation, and sometimes you have to meditate and meditate and study and think and roll it around. That's why you read Joshua 1. God told Joshua, Meditate on my word day and night. Don't let it come out of your mouth. It doesn't mean never speak it. It means never let it go. Paul said it in several places in in the New Testament. He says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you have to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's impossible to do. You have to sleep. But he says, never get in any situation anywhere where prayer is not your first thought. i got to take this to God. I've got to let God, God's going to have to help me get a handle on this. I've got to get His revelation to know what to do and how to do it. That's what he's saying. Once you get the knowledge, then you can, can move on it. Hebrews 4, and I'm not going to read all. Well, let's start in verse 14. I will read it. It's just a few verses. This is, is, is the writer of Hebrews. I believe it's Paul, but whoever it was. He says in verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us keep saying what God says about us. Is what he's saying. Verse 15, he says, For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. I have to get a revelation that Jesus has already conquered everything that needs to be conquered in my life. And when I fail to live up to that, because remember, this is all in connection with looking at the Ten Commandments. I'm going to fail keeping those commandments. Write it down. You're going to be an abject failure when you seek to do that. And when you do fail, you need to go back to this Scripture. Jesus can sympathize with me. He's not angry with me. We need to, would to God that we just learn that when we are, when we are down in that pit one more time, we, the only way out of that pit is to run to Him, not from Him. That's what, what He says right here. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Notice the next verse. Because of that, let us therefore, that's what let us therefore means, because we know that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows how weak we are because he experienced that same weakness. The only difference was we fail a gazillion times. He never failed. He kept the law. All 613, every law that that could be, be expressed, he kept it. He lived a perfect life. But he knew, and, and, and this is important, because I've heard people say, well, Jesus, 
could not have sinned because he was the second person of the Godhead. If he could not have sinned, then he never experienced genuine temptation. And I'll give you this example. I've known people get esophageal cancer. They go in, they have to cut the tumor out. When they cut the tumor out, they cut your esophagus out. And they sew it shut. And you never eat again. You're going to have a tube inserted that goes into your stomach and you squeeze food directly in your stomach. It's not going through your mouth anymore. If I'm not supposed to have chocolate cake, and Lord, life's just not worth living if you can never have chocolate cake. That's where the amen goes, brother. It's not a temptation. If I've had that procedure and I cannot eat, and you come and say, here, here's a whole chocolate cake, just go ahead and eat it. I'm not tempted. Now, I may be tempted inwardly, but I cannot act on that temptation because I can't take a bite and swallow it. I physically cannot do that. If Jesus could not sin, then it wasn't a true temptation. Even if he had the feeling, if it was not possible for him to step out and break the law, then there was no risk. None at all. He could have failed. That was the great, and I say the great gamble. It was no gamble because God knows the the end from the beginning. And and, and inside the Godhead, they... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had already seen this, and they knew that Jesus was going to live the perfect life and and face every one of those temptations and never fall to any of them. So they had that pre-knowledge, but there still was the possibility that He could. But because we know He could have, but He didn't, we can live out verse 16. Therefore, because of that, come boldly to the throne of grace that you can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a sympathetic God. He, not only is He not passive, He is sympathetic towards us. He said, I know what it's like to live a human life. I know what it's like. I've faced every temptation that you've ever faced. I've been there. Now, I never crossed the line, but I've, I've, that line was right there in front of me. I know how, what a struggle it is. Just come and let me help you. That's all he's asking. Now, when we we go back, we have to understand, back to Exodus 20, verse 2, I brought you out of the land, and I brought you out of the house of bondage and slavery. So we now know that Jesus, not only is he not passive, he's active in our lives, he's sympathetic towards us, he's also a deliverer. He said, I've already brought you out of the house of bondage. Remember, for the Jews there, they were physically out of Egypt. For us, that's a type of being of the new birth. We've come out of sin. We're, we're, we're seated with Him in heavenly places. He has already delivered us. Now, here's where the rub comes, though. We are free, completely free. But what does that mean? You ask the world, and this is where the world screws everything up, and a lot of churches are over in the world's viewpoint. They will look at this and say, if I'm free, I can do anything I want. 
And there is, an, there, there is a, a, a little nugget of truth because Paul says in, in, in the New Testament that for me nothing is sin, but not all things are profitable. There is a little nugget in there because, remember, 1 John says that I cannot sin. I, I really have a hard time wrapping my head around that. But I have to acknowledge that it's in the Bible. I have to acknowledge that Paul said, for me, nothing is sin. I haven't got a revelation on that one yet. I'll be honest with you. I, don't, I, can't, I can't wrap that, get that clear in my head. But I do know that I can't just live any way I want to. And the reason I know that, first of all, Romans 5, verse 20, Paul made it very clear. The law entered, the law of Moses entered, so that the offense, the sin, might abound. In the time between um, the fall and Noah, there was no law. People sinned, but they didn't know they were sinners. And God said, I'm wiping that whole, I'm wiping the whole lot of them out. I'm only going to preserve Noah and his family. And when they when they came out of when Noah came out and God started over with Noah's family, he he brought the law, even for them, there was a sense there wasn't the Mosaic law yet, but there was a sense of of, of what is right and what is wrong. There were limited covenants that God made with different people. We see one with with Job. We see it with Noah. There's the covenant of Noah. We see it with a lot of different people. And then he made the Abrahamic covenant where he brought promises and you have to fulfill this to get the promises. And then ultimately, 400 years later, you get um, the Mosaic law. And and the big point about the Mosaic law wasn't just to, to enumerate all of the requirements, but it was to bring in the sacrificial law. They, they had had sacrifices up to that, but it just wasn't that clear. In fact, you go back in the Old Testament, and especially in the, the historical books, you will see occasionally, there's only a couple of places where it's written, but you will see that it'll say, in that day there was no teaching priest. And when there was no teaching priest, the, the people ran into problems. That tells me that the priest's job wasn't just to do the sacrifice. The priest's job was to stand there and say, this is why you are bringing this sacrifice. This animal is going to pay the price for your sin. And this animal represents a Messiah who's coming down the road. And then you watch me. I'm going to take a knife and I'm going to grab the lip of that animal and expose their neck and slit their throat and blood is going to go everywhere. It was not a pleasant place to be in the, in, around the altar. It was a god-awful, bloody mess. They wanted it that way. God wanted people to get a picture of, of what their, the price of their sin brought, first of all, to this animal. But when the Messiah comes, he's going to shed his blood. He's going to give his life. God incarnate is going to do that. So it's not that we can be totally free. He brought in the law so that sin would be shown up to be how sinful it is. But then he closes that verse, says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I'm going to give you a revelation of how nasty your sin is, 
but I want you to know that there's more, more than enough grace to cover all of that. Where no matter how great the sin, grace is always bigger and stronger and better. And then in Romans 6, Paul deals with this issue of um, freedom. Romans 6, we're going to start in verse 12. He says, therefore, because of all of this, and I don't have time to go read the, the, the first, six chap- first five chapters of Romans, but I invite you to go read it. It's, it's revelatory. Verse 12, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That tells me it's my decision whether sin reigns in my body or not. Because if I can do not let, I can let. It's just a little burst of logic there. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He's saying you have a choice in every action that you do. There's a choice. You can present yourself to God or you can present yourself to your sin nature. Don't do the sin. Don't don't present yourself to the sin nature. Present yourself to God. And then he closes that, that thought out in verse 14. I love this. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but you're under grace. He does not say sin might not. If you present yourself to God, sin might not have dominion over you. No, he says it doesn't matter whether you're presenting your body and your members to your sin nature or to God. Sin still does not have dominion over you, period. I am free from sin. That's where my freedom comes from, or freedom is. My freedom is I have been delivered from the dominion of sin. We sometimes get upset because we look at sinners. I just said it earlier when we were praying. You've got state legislators that are voting not only to, to allow abortion right up to the moment of birth, but if that child is born alive, then we're going to either actively kill it or neglect it so it will be allowed to die. And we get upset, rightly so. That angers me. I'm telling you, I want to go grab somebody and punch them. But you know what? All they are doing is manifesting the dominion that sin has over their lives. Our job is to not get angry with them. I do get angry at the, at the, at the, 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 the actions because it's sinful. It's horrible. It's horrible beyond belief. But our call is not to react to them in anger. Our call is to pray for them and get them converted so that, they don't, that sin no longer has dominion over them and they can come out of that. And when we, when we get them delivered and saved, then the laws will change. Amen? And then you go down to, that's in verse 14, go down to verse 18, it gives us the secret. It says, having been set free from sin, remember he said up here before, sin doesn't have dominion over me. Verse 18 says, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I don't just get free of sin and I'm sitting here as a neutral creature who can do whatever he wants. I can only get set free from sin if I become a slave of righteousness. 
In other words, my destiny, my call is to be a slave. A lot of people chafe at that one. I'm not going into slavery. You don't have a choice. You're either going to be a slave to your fleshly lust, or you're going to be a slave to God's righteousness. There is no neutral ground. You're either a friend of God or you're a friend of the enemy. You're either working for heaven or you're working from hell. It's no, there is no middle ground. That's one of the reasons I've said, and, and, and believe me, it's hard. I don't like the days we're living in. But it's great. The choices are so abundantly clear today. You, it's not hard to convince sinners that they're sinners because they're, they're just doing the most vile things. And if they've got any heart at all that are open to God at all, if God's moving in their lives and drawing them even a little bit, it becomes so clear that they need God. But we have to understand that even though sin may not have dominion to me over me, if I'm presenting my members, if I'm presenting my body to, the, to be a slave of sin, I can walk in that. It's the, the, the jail cell is open, but I can still sit and, and operate out of that side of me. The only way that I can truly walk in freedom is to align myself and present myself to God on a continuous basis and know that I'm going to foul it up and manifest some of that sin nature. But when I do, I don't just hang my head and say, I'm just a wretch, I'm just a worm. No, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, and I just screwed it all up. I just acted like I was the most vile sinner. I acted like I did when I was in the world. I at least had the thought. Even if I don't act it out, I had the thought. I mean, let's face it. Maybe, maybe you're more holy than I am, but there's many a time I'm on the freeway, and I want to have that rocket button where when they cut me off, i got to do is press that button, and i got the James Bond car, and the rocket comes off, and it shoots, and they're... Their car is obliterated and it blows all of the pieces out of the way so I can just drive through on clear path. I, I told Gina, I said, you know, we were coming home and, you know, when you spend 10 hours on the road, it's, you get tired of driving. And they're, they're just crazy people out there. Unfortunately, I, I had a lot of people saying I was one of them. But I, we were joking because we got you get into these wolf packs where there's just... There's two semis, one of them passing the other one, one mile an hour difference between their speeds. And it's like just, maybe, they're, maybe the governor is operating, they just can't go more. One's going 65, one's going 66. I don't know. But you just say, for the love of Mike, just pass them. But I, we, we, I was in one of those and I was getting frustrated. She could tell I was getting frustrated. She said, John, it's going to be okay. I said, do they not know who I am and where I'm going, that I'm tired? Just get out of my way. And I said it jokingly, but sometimes that is our attitude. Does the world just not know that I'm here? That I, you know, royalty is present? Why are they just not meeting my every need? Well, we all get into those attitudes whether we admit it or not. And when you do that, you're acting out of your fleshly nature and you are, you are allowing your members, you're presenting your members 
to represent that sin nature. And when you get in the middle of it and you realize this is not the real me, that's when you come boldly before the throne. We don't have to go cut a lamb's neck and bleed it out. We go to the blood of the lamb. We present ourselves before God Almighty and say, Lord, I did it again. I, oh, I don't know how you can forgive me. This has been gazillion and 15 times. I'm not exactly sure how many zeros are on a gazillion, but it's a lot. And we've all got those little pet sins that just keep nagging at you, and you keep falling, you keep falling. You think, will I ever learn? Well, hopefully you will, but sometimes we don't. The point is, we cannot wear out His grace. It's not an excuse. Coming before the throne when you've done it a thousand and one times is not, not making light of your sin. It's making the most of His grace. It's acknowledging, yes, I can't live a perfect life, but you are a God who is active in my life. You're not passive. You want to reward me when I follow you. I believe that you are my deliverer, and I'm coming to put your blood one more time over me. I am your child. I, I, I present myself, and I'm going to do better next time. Will I? I hope. You know, at some point, I, I, I still have my father's voice in my head saying, are you ever going to learn? And sometimes my response is, well, evidently not. <laughs> but we keep going back to the Word and believing for God's power to be manifest in us that I will be a slave to righteousness. That's what, and I'm going to close with this thought. That word there is dulo, which is, the root of it is doulos, to be a slave, the lowest slave in the household. That's when, when we studied out Jude. Jude said, I'm a slave of God. Paul said it in, in a lot of his letters. I'm, I am an apostle, but I'm a slave of God. That's me saying, Lord, I'm your God, I'm not. You tell me what you need me to do. I will pay. We sang it. I will pay any price. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will say anything. You just be clear to me what I need to do. Now, be careful when you tell God, I will pay any price. Because sometimes he will ask you, okay, are you willing to do this? And he'll push you. He'll stretch you. Are you really, do you, do you mean it? We used to have a joke with some friends of mine, and it's very true. Your life tells a story. Do you mean what you say? We say we're Christians. We say we're devoted to God. But if you just looked from the outside at my actions, my words, my attitudes, how well do am I representing Christ in my life? I, I fear for myself when I, when I really examine how I live and how I operate and how I talk. Really? Am I really representing the Lord as well as I should? No, but when I come to those, I have to run, run to 1 John 1, 9. That's coming boldly before the throne. And Lord, help me. I want to be a good representative of you.
I want to do whatever you've called me to do. That has to be our desire. When we get that, that, the Ten Commandments become easy. That's when we can live out Paul's prescription. Love does no harm to his neighbor. That's when you, you realize if I did have the rocket button, I wouldn't push it. That's when you start, people cut you off and tell you you're number one and you pray for them instead of returning the favor. That's not always easy to do. But it is a godly thing to do. And we have that power on the inside of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I just believe, Lord, that you are going to help us. I know this is a challenge for me to to see this and walk this out and, and live this life that you've called us to, that you have called us to be slaves of righteousness, to surrender our lives completely, 100% to you, to be able and be willing to pay any price, to do anything, to serve you, to be the husband I've, that you've called me to be, to be the wife that you've called these, most of these ladies to be, to be the, 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 the sisters and brothers, the, the children and the parents, to walk out your perfect will in every area of our lives, to live that sacrificial life, to, to live the life that Christ lived, to serve others, to be the servant leader in our home, to be the servant leader on our jobs. And when we fail, Lord, I'm looking to your grace. It knows no, no bounds. It knows no limits. And you will come in and cleanse me of all unrighteousness and set me back on the path to serve you. I'm believing for your Spirit to speak to us individually. You said in your Word that we are your sheep and we hear your voice. Lord, we need to hear from you in every little situation. And, and, and I just ask that you help me to be attentive to your voice, to the voice of your word first, but to be attentive to the voice of your spirit and to know that you are speaking and I will hear and obey. Help us, Lord. That's our prayer. Help us to be true representatives of you in every, every area and every part of our lives. In Jesus' name. We believe you to do it, and we thank you that it's done. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.